Hi everyone and welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast. We're continuing our series on Daniel today. We're looking at Daniel chapter 4 verses 1 to 18. We'll be looking at at Daniel chapter 4 in three parts over the next few weeks and uh, we're looking at the first part of that today and this is Nebuchadnezzar's dream and we're thinking, continuing our theme on empires and thinking about how God is involved in the kingdoms of men and what that means for our lives. Just to let you know that if you'd like to support Understand the Bible, there is a Patreon account. And also do check out the YouTube as there is more um, content available on YouTube. I'm still working through the series on the Apostles' Creed. And we've just been thinking this week about Jesus' resurrection. So if you or anyone else you know would like that, then do feel free to have a look and uh, check that out. Thanks so much, everyone. I hope that you enjoy and I'll see you again soon. So Daniel chapter 4, and we're thinking, you know, we've been thinking about kingdoms and empires, and today I wanted to to think about whether, this question of whether we think that God gets involved with human empires and kingdoms, because I think sometimes if you listen to the way that, that people speak, you know, there's this kind of view that God doesn't really get involved much, you know, day by day with with the kingdoms, with the empires of the world, and you know, kind of lets lets them get on with it, um, and it, it kind of leads to the other question, which is, do we trust him with everything? Because, you know, I, I think that's that's often the question, isn't it? Do we trust God with the the events of our lives, with the events of our world, with what's happening day by day? And that is what I think Daniel chapter four. And but the whole of Daniel really gives us confidence in just thinking about the way that God is is involved in the um, the events that happen in the world. Um, so um, Daniel, this this chapter four is a different to the other chapters in Daniel because it's from King Nebuchadnezzar. It's a letter uh, from King Nebuchadnezzar, and that's what it says there, um, verse one. King Nebuchadnezzar to the nations of peoples of every language who live in, uh, in all the earth. And um, it's an open letter. You know, it's, um, you, there seems to be a bit of a thing these days, writing open letters. I don't know if you've come across any of these, you know, an open letter to whoever it may be, to whom it may concern. But just take a moment to think about this, that King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, they were the ones who, the Babylon were the ones who invaded um, Israel. They were the ones who, you know, took over the, uh, the people of Israel, took them off into exile. And he's the one who is um, writing this letter, proclaiming the greatness of God. And don't you think that's astonishing? That Nebuchadnezzar it becomes an evangelist. He's saying, I, I'm telling you how great God is. It's astonishing. And he, he says, um, uh, these are the signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed. How great are his signs. This is verse 3. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal dominion, uh, kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. So his kingdom and his dominion endure. And it is, uh, it's a position of humility, isn't it? It's saying that he is, uh, he 
Nebuchadnezzar knows his place. He's saying, my kingdom is not the eternal and enduring kingdom that God's is. And that's a really astonishing thing. So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream again. And um, it's very like what happens in, in, in chapter 2, which we looked at a few weeks ago. Um, so he, he had a dream and he was terrified. So just like what happened chapter 2, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. But this time he does things slightly differently. So um, instead of setting up what he did before, saying, no, I want you to tell me the, uh, the, the dream first, before you, you tell me the team interpretation, he, he gets in the wise men, all the magicians in the kingdom, and he says, um, okay, well, tell me what, he tells them what the dream is, and then he asks them to interpret it uh, for, for him. And it says, um, verse 7, when the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and uh, diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. If you look at what the actual, uh, he says a bit later on to Daniel, um, I wonder if it's a, uh, a, a could not or whether it's actually a would not. Because um, as we will see, the dream is, um, I think it's actually quite self-explanatory really. Um, the message of the dream is actually pretty clear. And you wonder, all of these um, astrologers and chantists in, you know, Perhaps what they're thinking is not, I don't understand this, but if I tell Nebuchadnezzar what the dream means, he's going to chop my head off because it's not good news for him. So maybe that's what they're thinking. And we'll think more about that next week when we look at Daniel. Um, but it, it, it's just this you know, question, is it, is it a failure of interpretation or a failure of, of, of honesty? You know, um, did you ever used to watch that TV show Fame Academy? Uh, I, there was a, there, it used to be a few years ago, but it was this, these sort of people would go on and sing, and I, I didn't really used to watch it very much, to be honest. Um, but there was, there was, I had a panel of judges. It was one of these shows, someone would come in and sing, and the panel of judges would tell them how good or not they were. And there was one, um, one judge, I mean, there, I think there were four of them. Three of them would always be quite positive and encouraging, and there was one who got the reputation for being the one who was negative. But do you know something? Whenever I watched it, I always thought it was the one who was the most negative, actually, the most critical, who I thought was the most truthful. Because, you know, the people who were the, the you know, flattering or you know, maybe it's not quite the right word, but always sort of positive, I thought, you know, were not always um, completely truthful. And that's the thing, isn't it? This is what it says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. It says, uh, oh, there we go. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And you just think sometimes to be a true friend, to have true love, means saying the hard thing. And I just wonder whether that was what was going on with these astrologers and, and diviners, you know, that they, they were un, not prepared to say the hard thing because they perhaps were too concerned about their own reputation or they just wanted to flatter Nebuchadnezzar. But like I said, we'll look at them more uh, next week. So um, the, next, the next part, the, the sort of the rest of this section is just Nebuchadnezzar recounting his, his dream to Daniel and, um, uh, and um, 
the success really of, of God in putting Daniel there. It says in verse 9, um, Nebuchadnezzar says, Belshazzar, Belteshazzar, I know the spirit of the holy God is in you and no mystery is too difficult for me. And he says it again at the, uh, the end of our, our passage there in verse 18, uh, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means. For none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can because the spirit of the holy God is in you. So Daniel's reputation, Nebuchadnezzar remembers that from before. He's saying, I remember when you interpreted my dream before, and this is, um, I, I, I know now that you are reliable and that the magicians, the astrologers, the other people are, are not. So Daniel's reputation has made its way into to, to Nebuchadnezzar. And um, the dream itself is, we'll look more at the dream when Daniel interprets it. But this last verse here, verse 17, the decision is announced by the messengers, the holy ones, declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. Verse 17 there. Now, do you think that was very hard for Nebuchadnezzar to understand? Now, I think that pretty much sets it out in plain language, what the dream means. You know, I, I don't, it's not like the previous dream, which didn't have that. I think that, that says it really, doesn't it? It says God, you know, God's sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth. He gives them to anyone he wishes. What, what is there to, to misunderstand about that? That's plain. Why did Nebuchadnezzar not get it? And this is something which, I mean, many of you in the past may have, have puzzled over. Uh, if you've been talking to friends, you know, neighbours, colleagues, whoever, that spiritual truth is, is spiritually discerned. You know, you can't, you can't sometimes just, you know, argue someone into a spiritual, spiritual discernment. This is what it says in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The Apostle Paul says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And when it comes to, to faith and to the Bible and to spiritual things, people are not rational. You know, I think sometimes we have this idea that if we just come up with better arguments, if we just come up with, you know, um, a more persuasive way of, of demonstrating the gospel, that will, that will really bring people into to God's kingdom. And, you know, it's not, not a bad thing to have persuasive arguments to, and so on. But at the end of the day, it, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. You think about Nebuchadnezzar, you know, why couldn't he understand a truth which seems so plainly set? And it was because it was a spiritual thing. He couldn't understand it because he was, he was unable to comprehend what was being said. He needed uh, Daniel and the, the Holy Spirit speaking through Daniel to be able to understand it. And actually, if you read on, um, he doesn't really understand. You know, he needed to experience the, the fulfilment of this prophecy before he really understood. So it, it takes God to open people's eyes. And that's the, um, I think that's such a fundamental message to understand when it comes to um, 
evangelism, when it comes to sharing the gospel with people, sharing spiritual truths with people, it really, you can't argue someone into the kingdom. And only God can actually open people's eyes. And, and that's why prayer is so important. You know, whenever we have um, Alpha, the last few weeks as we've been doing Alpha, um, before Alpha we have a, a prayer meeting, we pray for people who are coming, and I just think that's so important, you know, to pray, because we, at the end of the day, the video that we watch, the discussion that we have, can't lead people to God's kingdom. Only God can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. So as we, we come to the end of this, this part of, of um, chapter 4, what can, we, what can we take from it? What can we learn as we come towards, um, uh, take for, through the rest, rest of the week? Well, the first thing I want to just highlight is that God is sovereign over the kingdom of men. I think sometimes we have this view that God is kind of sovereign in a, in a very general sense and that, you know, the things that happen in the world, perhaps God kind of directs a little bit, but that, you know, at the end of the day, God's not really in charge over sort of specific things. But I, I would say... I think the Bible actually does say God is sovereign over the kings of the earth. This is what it says in, in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. Uh, in the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels towards all who please him. The king's heart is a stream of water that he channels towards all who please him. You think about that, you know, a king's heart being a just a stream, you know, if you've got a tap, you can just direct it, whichever. And, and that's, that's, what, that's what it says, that the king's heart is like, even the king. So when we look around at all of the things going on in the world, it's important to remember that God is sovereign in a very active way. He hasn't taken a back seat about all of the things going on in the world. You know, God is not a God who takes a back seat, but he's actively involved. And he's also... Uh, sovereign over our lives. And I think if God is sovereign over the events of the world, how much more can we trust that he's sovereign over the events of our lives? And I, I just love what he says, Nebuchadnezzar says, that he, he raises up um, the lowly. Um, he sets over them the lowliest of people. I've just been reading a biography, um, and I'm still reading it, um, of um, Thomas Cranmer. You may know uh, he was the first sort of Protestant Archbishop of Canterbury under Henry VIII. Um, and uh, he was, you know, really not from a kind of high family. I mean, in those days, to get an education, he went to Cambridge and, you know, he, he had to come from a kind of, you know, uh, have that kind of wealth in the family, I suppose. But he wasn't, you know, particularly, he wasn't nobility. He wasn't, you know, aristocracy or anything like that. And yet God used him, you know, amazingly, really, how it, it happened that he ended up becoming the archbishop. Um, and it was just a series of sort of meetings and coincidences and so on that he was happened to be investigating the king's great matter. Oh, I won't bore you with it all now. But that's the thing, that God is working in those events. And, you know, even in the little events in our lives, things that we might think are insignificant or trivial... God is working in the little things and in those, the, you know, when you bump into someone on the street, when you say hello to someone, 
you know, when you just happen to, to say, say something to someone, you know, because it's working. And I trust that the Lord is working in those times. There's a nice um, uh, description of this, I think. This is um, the Heidelberg Catechism, which you may have come across or you may not have done. But I'm just going to read you the first one and we'll talk about this another time. But this is the question and answer, which is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? The answer is that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, by uh, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Just think about that a little bit. Not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful God that we serve. And the final thing I wanted to, to just to, to say is that we should be humble before God. As it says in, in Proverbs again, you know, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under God's almighty hand, therefore, and that he will lift us up and raise us up. As Nebuchadnezzar learnt, that's the lesson that we, you know, we may not be kings, and I'm pretty sure that none of us are kings, um, but, uh, but nonetheless, that is our place as well, to humble ourselves before the Lord and that he will lift us up when we seek his will, his kingdom, his dominion. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's the message, that's the, the heart attitude that God loves to hear us to pray. Well, let's take a moment to pray as we close. And Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are sovereign over the events of the world and over the events of our lives. And we thank you that we can trust you fully in everything. And we pray that you would help us to have that humble and dependent trust on you for all of our, our needs, for everything that we do. Help us, Lord, to look to you and to, to realise that apart from you we can do nothing, but that we can expect you, Lord, to, to do wonderful things um, through us and uh, through your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.